Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to The Red Carpet, a film club podcast. I'm Tom Sibla, and with me is... Tom Whalen. Typically, The Red Carpet is an audio film club where we choose a director and dig into their filmography, but today, in the early uh, early dawn of January, yeah, yeah. Um, me, Tom Siblow, a little under the weather and, and probably audibly so, and my co-host uh, over here, Tom Whalen, are going to tell you our favorite, and a couple of our least favorite, movies of 2018. Tom is under the weather. I am on top of the weather, man. I've got, <laughs> I got the weather on the floor, and I, I have it at my mercy. Yeah, he's looking down upon me. It doesn't, it doesn't feel very good. Um, <laughs> so we're recording live uh, on, what is today? January 13th. Uh, from Kingston, New York, in the basement of uh, of young Tom Whalen, yeah, where my uh, my various uh, discarded belongings are encroaching on us with an increasing uh, menace. Uh, Tom is uh, uh, we have the least amount of recording space here that we've ever had, um, and we're going to need to use every inch of space that we have down here on the takes, man, because we've got a lot of takes wide-ranging across the entire year of film here 2018 and we've got i think we've got top 10 list i've got a top 10 list do you i have? do not i do not have a top 10 list this is a little bit of a controversy because i can't i can't you can't rank art man you know i don't want to i don't want to go there but how do i mean when we talk about some of the movies that i'll talk about i guess like i'm gonna ask how you could possibly compare like one movie to another like how could you rank one above another it's it's smooth, man. You this know, is it's... a very Tom Whalen take from Tom Siblow. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, I did, however, rank art, much to my dismay. Um, I have a, I have a list that I'm excited to have Tom roast, for sure. Oh my god, I'm, this is going to be so much roasting. Speaking of roasting, I just want to kick it off by saying, like, as uh, eagle-eared listeners might know, Tom Whalen is the horror aficionado of, of this pod. Tom has this look in his face like, what am I getting roasted yeah, for right yeah, now? Yeah, what he's getting roasted for is like the box of Halloween lights that is behind him as we're recording this. Yes, and, and what looks like spooky fake webs. Yeah, so we have some spooky fake webs. There's also a... Um, this is actually one of my more prized Halloween decoration possessions, um, which actually it looks like um, a garbage bag, and that's because it is. It is a, uh, a spider... Um, that's basically made out of garbage bag material that you can sort of like <laughs> hang up on a ceiling somewhere, and it looks like a, it looks like a spider made of a, a garbage bag. So yeah. glad that uh, I roasted you for this. Yeah, yeah. So let 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 the roast begin. Yeah. What is your number ten movie? I don't even have ten movies. I have twelve. Movies. Right. So let's let's start with that. So let's just start a little bit with the parameters here. I look back at my letterbox at how many twenty eighteen eligible films I saw. The total was 51. Tom, I think you uh, just about doubled that? Uh, that is correct. I watched roughly 100, low low hundreds, like 100, 105. Yeah, so you better than doubled that. So I think that, if not apologizes for, at the very least explains the difficulty that uh, you had in whittling down your for list. Sure. To I it. have a, like 21 honorable mentions. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure, 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 sure. Um, I'm actually also positioning myself as the better man here because you're roasting me and I am voluntarily apologizing for <laughs> your refusal to make a top 10 list. Sure, sure. Um, so what is my number? So 10, I had nine strong inclusions to my top 10 list and a fluid number 10 spot. A couple of my honorable mentions that I considered, um, two of the exceptional superhero films that I thought came out this year, one we discussed on the podcast, The Incredibles 2, 
Another we also discussed on the podcast in uh, non-curriculum sort of capsule review form, and that is um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, yeah, say it, baby. Say the full title. Yeah. Um, I gave a... So, in past years, I've used the number 10 spot as an occasion for giving a shout-out to a usually genre film that I thought was sort of like underserved by the critical community this year. I thought about having... Uh, Alex Garland's Annihilation in that spot for that purpose. This is a film that people talked about, certainly, but that because it came out so early in the year and because it was such a bizarre psychedelic freakout, I think was either misunderstood or somewhat swept under the rug now that um, year-end list time has come. Those are some films that I consider for my number 10 spot. I was going to say, like, what is your actual yeah. number 10? Those are those are not my number 10 film. My number 10 film of the year is a film that we covered in our rag carpet cur- curriculum, uh, Lynn Ramsey's You Were Never Really Here, a film that I I don't know. I have a hard time knowing what's going to be on your list, but that I imagine might appear on your list. I, I mean, uh, you see me scrolling through my notes. Right? Yes. So, so yes, you, uh, you Were Never Really Here. I could. This was one of the movies that I, like, had not, you remember, if you remember, I texted you being like, wait a second, is yes. this being eligible for like mm-hmm. a 2018 mm-hmm. best, li- best yeah. of? And you're like, yes. And I was like, oh, God, God damn it. it. Yeah, like, yeah. I had like already made the full 10 and then mm-hmm. had this movie and could not, could not not include it, but also couldn't remove one of the other movies. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to really know what to say since we dedicated like an entire episode to it. And you guys can all check that out uh, on the redcarpet.com or in our feed. Um, but I think the scene that I think about the most is the scene of Joaquin laying on the floor next to the dying guy. And they're like singing together and like how it, it kind of uh, advances time through cuts. Um, and you see the guy kind of slowly dying. I always find that like the most effective. And I always think of the movie, of the music. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in those opening shots where it's like pulsing and he's like, it's done. Yeah. And the, um, the title card is read aloud. Oh, so cool. So cool. Very cool. I mean, um, another exquisite Johnny Greenwood soundtrack right on the heels of Phantom Thread, which was both of our, uh, number one films of 2017. You will never really hear. I don't know if I think it ex, uh, excels on the level of sheer craft that Incredibles 2, Spider-Man, again, it, it's sort of very strange to even be comparing these films. Um, you will never really hear, however, provided one of the most distinctive and memorable theater experiences of my year, without a doubt, was seeing this in my local art house, Upstate Films, with a largely sort of middle-aged group that clearly had were not expecting at all to see a self-tooth uh, extraction scene in bloody detail, to see a hyper-stylized noir film um, with a, a gr- like, sort of aggressive soundtracking, aggressive cutting style. Um, I really love this film. It's a really... Insofar as the criteria for best of the year is just the films that you keep thinking about and the films that sort of like haunt you and the films whose individual scenes, including the one that you talked about, the singing on the floor. The final um, scene as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, just Hard to end a movie. I think um, De Palma says that in his documentary. Mm-hmm. He's like, ending movies are hard. You get like maybe three or four like great endings, yeah. you know, even as someone who, you know, he's being very self-critical there. Um and, like, I think this is one of the few movies that, like, really nails it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we would probably be in the minority there, I think. I remember my <laughs> theater um, being sort of audibly angry at the, um, both the, and at this point, I, 
I don't really feel bound to a spoiler rule here at the scene of him shooting himself in the head and collapsing onto the diner table in blood, blood everywhere. Right. Um, and then the sort of cut back to reveal it was a vision that sort of these, this, this thing just so angered, I think an audience that had been taxed, sure. um, to the brim already. Sure. Um, but this film's just sensational, sensational performance from Phoenix. Um, R Ramsey, like a true, like sort of st stylistic, um, like virtuoso, just an incredible way to tell this story um, and to revive, um, you know, these are a, a, a film of tropes of a young girl in danger, um, a man out of, a, you know, taxi driver-esque, like loner out for vengeance and to give meaning to his life. Um, and it all feels just absolutely one of a kind. Um, it's a tremendous film. Yeah, I, I mean, I absolutely love it and it's hard to really top your... Your assertion there. I do think it got... Uh, people were pretty harsh on this movie. Mm -hmm. Even people I knew, anecdotally, yeah. seemed to really think that it, it did not kind of subvert the, the genre yeah. um, in a way that worked for them. They found it kind of boring or wrote. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. The performances really worked for me. Um, the style the, of the movie, um, you know, the, 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 the shots, the, the lighting, the color palette. Yeah. Um, even, like, how they shoot New York is very, very yeah. cool. I think it's 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 easy to understand how something that rests so much on a very subjective style it's either going to do it for you or it's not going to do it for you and I think that's a that's a strong enough transition into my number nine film which is a film that you and I saw together whoa whoa, whoa. do I get a movie I don't know do you have a list do you have yeah a list? I have okay. a list okay. I have a list I mean they're just I, like they're just not numbered I have a rip in transition though yeah okay I, go for it no go go for it go for it go well, for it well maybe maybe your transition is on my list no the, this is a film that that um you we saw together that you very much didn't like as much as I liked, but we can, we can transition. Oh boy. We got to talk about that. We just talked about that. Well, movie. it's on my list. Man. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What can you, what can you do? So yeah, I'm sorry folks, folks at home. I'm, I'm really setting myself up now to be a heel in that. <laughs> I, I assumed this podcast would, would just be my list. <laughs> <laughs> Me occasionally chiming in yeah, with like, yeah, uh, yeah. with takes. Yeah. So uh, Tom, what do you got? Uh, well, I had, you were never really here. Right. So I guess that technically could be my pick, but we're trying to move through mine since I have 12. Yes. Okay. Um, so I'm going to talk about another movie because you mentioned it. Uh, Annihilation mm -hmm. is on my, mm -hmm. is on my list. So Annihilation is the Alex Garland written and directed film, uh, based on a novel by Jeff Vandermeer. Um, the IMDb page, if you are not familiar, I have little summations for all my, for all my movies. I'm a real nerd. Okay. Um, a biologist signs up for a dangerous secret expedition to a mysterious zone where the laws of nature don't apply. And this starred Natalie Portman and uh, Jennifer Jason Lee mm -hmm. and Oscar Isaac. Um, God, I love Oscar Isaac and Tessa Thompson. And am I forgetting anyone? I think that's like the major. You said Jennifer Jason Lee? I said Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so this was a very divisive film. Um, I I don't know if I will not tell the, this tale on air, but I made an extremely pithy comment to someone in public um, regarding the, like uh, their dismissal of this film. Yeah, folks, which, if you could just really step into a fantasy world where Tom Sibley is making a pithy comment to someone in public. <laughs> but a stranger, know, a stranger, I, I, I like a stranger, a stranger in a coffee counter. A stranger, no less, if you could possibly imagine that. If you could, if you could suspend disbelief for long enough, take this journey with me. I'm having a hard time imagining it. Okay, so Jonathan Pyle <laughs> from Empire Magazine uh, 
described Annihilation as a science fiction horror movie that addresses depression, grief, and the human propensity for self-destruction. And I say, sick. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> um, because it really is an action movie, um, at least a, a kind of a deconstructed one. And I really love that. I really love the score um, by, oh, I meant to look this up, it's like Jeff Bowley. Bowley. Mm. He's a guy from Portishead. And oh, I, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, you know, I love the look of the shimmer. Mm. I think Natalie Portman is so cool. I mean, I can't believe... Uh, I don't think she's done any like action like that. Yeah. She looks so badass with that gun in her hand. Um, and it's just a really thoughtful, interesting, psychedelic, unusual film. One thing that I dug up in my research for this is, due to a poorly received test screening, David Ellison, one of the financiers and a producer at Paramount, said that the film was too intellectual and too complicated and demanded, that, demanded changes made to appeal to a wider audience. Uh, but... Uh, Scott Rudin, uh, producer extraordinaire, um, and the director refused to do it, and Rudin had final cut and yeah. let let it let it lay. They basically threw the finger up at him and were like, "Forget it, dude." Yeah, take a step, take take a walk into the shimmer, or <laughs> get the hell out, dude. Yeah, and then their irises glowed. Yeah, sure. Um, and so yeah, and so Annihilation is mine. This is streaming right now on Amazon Prime. If you haven't seen it. Uh, obviously, I would highly recommend it. And one of several films that featured modern dance that mm. made my list. That's absolutely true. It's a really interesting motif for the year. I mean, not to um, reduce a film that is incredibly rich and complex and is a true, big, weird cinema experience, the likes of which um, are perhaps a little too brief now. Um, I will say that sort of like any film that features Jennifer Jason Leigh like, um, with her eyes covered, kneeling in, like, swamp dirt, bellowing the name of the film, Annihilation, <laughs> is just, there's just sort of, like, a solid floor for me. Yeah. Um, but, again, not to reduce it to that, I thought this movie was sensational. I actually saw this movie, the second time I saw it was at the drive-in, um, with a one-two punch with A Quiet Place. Um, and uh, just loved it all the more the second time, even though I sort of knew what was coming. And actually knowing what was coming allowed me to kind of enjoy the um, the nuances of the design. The design is unreal. Um, one of the most unforgettable images of the year for me is... And sound effect. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the most unforgettable images of the year for me is the, the obelisk um, on the beach with the trees. And oh, it's just incredible. Like, it's the, 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 the second half of the movie is basically like a heady psychedelic Instagram Yeah, I mean, account. from when like, they get to that, yeah, like, empty yeah. pool, and they, like, play the video. I mean, what about the part where she cuts, he cuts his stomach and his intestines are moving like a snake? Amazing. It is unreal body horror. The I was animal. actually a little nervous to, like, put it on mm. um, when I got the Blu-ray because I felt like I really had to be in the right mood because yeah. it is pretty heady. Mm-hmm. I think the um, the bear, the skull bear with the human voice is uh-huh. my um, nominee for Monster of the Year. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how heavy the competition is there, um, but <laughs> um, I think it's a strong winner. Just a tremendous scene. So what is your number nine pick? So I could actually, I, I could I could make the same uh, transition that I had planned before. So uh, uh, Anni- Annihilation and 
uh, you were never really here. Both films, I'm fairly divisive and sort of like befuddling. And uh, uh, we we'd actually we didn't talk about the theme for my picks, but okay. I would say like yeah. divisive and provocative was the overall mm. the the like kind of how I arranged my top movies because oh, okay. there were some other movies, especially more mainstream movies that I'll talk about kind of at the end that probably would have made it, yeah. um, but didn't make it because I'm like a snob and like, yeah, it's sure. hard for me to put an action movie Interesting. on my, on yeah. my favorites. Yeah, um, and so yeah, and so this. Is, is this another provocative not provocative film? per se but what I would say by way of transition is I can I sort of have sympathy for um, a take on Annihilation or on You Were Never Really Here that doesn't respond to the style because I think a lot of this style stuff you know this is deeply subjective style stuff and it sort of either sings for you and it doesn't and I know that we had the same experience with the film that is my number nine film a film that is very style heavy I really responded to the particular style um narrative editing um of this film and and you didn't and we had um a long conversation about it in the car and a less long conversation about it on air and that is um cold war um pavlovsky's um romance uh style piece that's romance uh he put air quotes there i did not tom put air quotes there i'm not gonna let you say i put air quotes there even though the audience can't see us tom did put air quotes your, tom... your word versus mine buddy oh yeah that's true <laughs> which of us do you believe right in at the ragcarpet.com which of us do you believe <laughs> um so yeah this is uh just a film that kind of stuck in my craw and uh really spoke to me on uh, of the level of its narrative ingenuity. I really, I think the things that I appreciated were the very same things that frustrated Tom and I think a lot of people, which was the substantive parts of the narratives were excised in favor of sort of like small, to me, very profound and rich moments of sensuality. Um, love that the film sort of read as a sort of quasi-history of pop music through mid-20th century folk music on into the appropriation of folk styles in 60s and 70s pop. Um, love the performances. Love the photography. Um, this is really just one, sort of one for the heart here. I, I, I don't know that there aren't some movies that I'm leaving off here that I, I might revisit with more sort of enthusiasm and recommend with more enthusiasm. But this is just one for the heart for me. This is a film that I really responded to um, and whose who's extremely sexy fatalism was just just right there for me. Um, and that, that is a, a Cold War, a film that I know will not appear on your list. Uh, no, by no means. Although, I didn't hate it. It's like, it, it was kind of one of those movies when I was making my list that like, I didn't dislike it enough to include it in my like, worst. Mm. And I didn't like it enough to include it in my best or honorable mentions. It was just one of the films that I sure, saw. Sure, sure, sure. Um, Okay, so number nine is Cold War. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of how I felt about uh, our car ride home, really. That was It was a Cold War, It was a chilly, because I love the window cracked. Yes, yeah, yeah, indeed. Anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, my next film, or the film I was going to talk about next, I know is going to be on your list, so I'll just wait till you pick it and, and piggyback off it. Um, so my next favorite film, the number, the not numbering thing's getting annoying now. It's like I feel like I should have numbered. No, it's all right. It's I've got right. A I'm, 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 I'm fine with it, yeah. So I don't know if you've seen this movie yet, uh, but it is Let the Corpses Tan. Have I, you seen I this? I almost... It's on VOD now. It's not that I didn't want to pay for it. Um, I, I, I don't know. But I, I didn't want to, like, hastily, in a homework fashion, watch it to catch up. Because I just know this is a movie I'm going to love. Because I love these directors and I love this throwback Italian genre uh, style. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let you vamp on it. I wish sure. I had this prep, but I'm I'm also very bummed I never got to see it in the theater. 
Yeah, I saw it twice in the theater. Yeah. Once with only two other people yeah. um, when it played at Alamo Drafthouse. Yeah, these directors not very popular outside of kind of culty genre circles. And those directors are Helene Katat and Bruno Forzani. Um, and they have written and directed another movie that I like a lot that was recommended on Tom's recommendation called Amir. Mm. Uh, they're a Belgian team. So this movie, Let the Corpses Tan, is based on a novel by Jean Patrick Manchette and Jean Pierre Pistade. And um, these were like very popular um, pulp, like French pulp uh, writers. Um, and I'm just going to read from the IMDb summary for this movie, which is pretty funny. A grizzled thug and his gang head to an island retreat with a haul of 250 kilograms of gold bullion to lay low. <laughs> However, a bohemian writer, his muse, and, uh, a, <laughs> and a, a pair of cops further complicate things as alliances, alliance, al- allegiances mm-hmm. are put to the test. It's basically just like all of these people interacting in this amazing beautiful set it was shot in corsica it's like on the tip of an island this like dilapidated art space where this like very uh sexualized woman lives and like her writer ex-husband and they just kind of all of these things coalesce uh there and you know these are directors very much in our line very stylized someone read the like uh the pitch to the movie and said that there was too much form and too little content, and they were like, "The form is the content." Yeah, sure, sure, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, these are these are filmmakers looking to speak with with audio, you know, and sound and visuals more than mm. necessarily the script. I think it's very funny, and and the, a lot of the humor comes from the editing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also absolutely gorgeous. It's mm. just an absolutely beautiful movie, shot in Super sixteen and the Cinemascope. So I mean, this is like real film nerd shit. Um, and you wouldn't be surprised to know that Sean Baker, um, the director of the Florida Project and uh, Tangerine, right? mm-hmm. um, he's on Letterboxd. Do you follow him? Oh, yeah. He's yeah. a great Letterboxd He's a great Letterboxd yeah. follow. If you guys don't follow Sean Baker, you should. It, you know, so great. He doesn't rate any of the movies. He mm-hmm. just writes little descriptions and he writes like what it was shot on. And uh, he had a little spot on film spotting where he said this was his favorite movie of the year. I actually cheered in my car because I was like listening to like their picks. I'm like, these picks are so boring. I'm like, why couldn't anyone pick something good? Like, let the corpses tan. Yeah. And there, there, there you go, Sean Baker giving it some love on film spotting. Baker's awesome. He doesn't review any of the films, but you can always tell when he doesn't like a film because he totally. just writes what it was shot on. And yeah, then yeah, all yeah. the comments below are basically like, what did you think of it? <laughs> and like, listen, if, if he wanted you to know what he thought of it, right, he would have right, told right. you. Um, but he's a little, I think he's, you know, he's a little too nice as a guy in the industry. Dude, he's not a film critic. Yeah, he's like a sure. filmmaker. Some of the people he's talking about are like peers, collaborators. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not easy to, uh, I don't oh, think it's easy to lay it out there. Certainly. But it is cool to have him as kind of one of us on the, on the LB and, and have sort of trace his, uh, Yeah. I think his... if anything, it's great when I think he sees the best in even movies that like he, you know, he didn't love. Mm-hmm. I think like he's always able to find some good thing yeah. from it. That's a good way. That's a good way of saying it. I like that. Yeah, yeah. He's very much more positive than us. We're writing like super, super shitty things. Yeah. What, what, didn't I call Marrowbone a marrow boner? Did you? Catch you that? Uh, definitely did. Yeah. yeah, you definitely did. That movie's bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is your number eight movie? So my so my number no numbered movie, but one of my favorites 
is Let the Corpses Tan. I just bought this on Blu-ray. I mean, I love this movie so much, I pre-ordered it on Amazon and got it sent to me on the first day. I'm seeing a lot of the promos from Diabolique DVD. I'm, yeah. I'm going to pick it up. That's what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to wait for the Blu-ray because I know it's on, it's like a $5 rental on Amazon. I think I'm just going to spring the 15 or whatever and have yeah. it on my shelf. Yeah. Kino yeah. Lover, bro. Yeah, baby, Kino. Yeah. So what is your number eight pick? My number eight pick, um, I think, will be on your list uh, is Luca Guadagnino's remake of Suspiria. It very, it very much is. That was the one where I said like I was okay, going I to talk about that movie, but I knew. I mean, there was yeah. no way Suspiria wasn't going to be in your list. Oh, absolutely. I mean, hey, I, I think I used, I think I used these exact terms when we spoke um, about it in our review. Um, but it's worth reiterating that this film is an absolute miracle. The fact that it has taken this form, <laughs> the fact that it is very much its own. Kind of psychedelic freak out and i mean that's the best tribute possible to the argento original right. is a totally um new vision that takes this story fleshes it out narratively but doesn't lose any iota of the just weird confrontational purely cinematic bite of the argento original um but like reversed it so amazing how suspiria also one of my favorite movies of the year um, this was a movie I couldn't leave off my list, even though I left a couple of other movies off my list because I knew Tom would pick them. Mm -hmm. um, but loved this movie so, so much. But, you know, took out the major component of the original Suspiria, which is the color. You know, just like, and just flipped that on its head and made it this, like, really drab movie so that, like, when it color finally appears, overwhelmingly so at the end, it, like, hits even harder. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, listen, Suspiria, Guadagnino Suspiria, is a tribute to... The autorial voice being the most vital thing in filmmaking. Because if you think about a bunch of like dudes in Google Glasses sitting around a boardroom at whatever big film studio saying, Hey, listen, folks, horror is big now. We got to take all these properties from the 70s. We're going to have a new Halloween movie out. It's going to be a hit. Let's remake that Argento movie, Suspiria. Who's got ideas? Luca Guanino raises his hand and says, I want to do it, but no primary colors. He immediately gets shot down. I mean, there's just no way to conceive of Guadagnino's Suspiria coming to light in any other thing than as this totally magical, weirdo, auteur piece. And it's just, oh man, it's just so exciting. I mean, I, I was utterly overwhelmed watching it. I think that's the experience of this film, is to be utterly overwhelmed. And as I said, that's the, that's the Argento thing. That's the Argento supernatural period is just punch you in the face with style. Guadagnino's done it here, and I mean, I think this is an enduring... But in, but in his own in his distinct own style. Distinct yeah. way. This is an enduring, if not outright classic, pretty damn close for the horror genre. And I, I can't believe I'm saying this, because when I heard that this movie was coming out two years sure. ago, I was dreading it. Yeah. Um, but Suspiria is... Uh, Guadagnino's Suspiria is just... Um, absolutely phenomenal if any horror fans out there have any cold feet about remakes i wouldn't blame you based on the recent track record um and that new halloween is included Which is in interesting that. because yeah. david gordon green was actually initially going to direct suspiria really dodgeable yeah it really um, did if you have any cold feet about this get that suspiria blu-ray pop it in watch it on a big screen turn the volume up turn the lights down it is tremendous yeah did you know that supposedly tilda swinton is the german psychoanalyst yeah it's what's wild it's totally absolutely wild. absolutely crazy totally wild absolutely wild so a couple of shout outs to Suspiria um really love the screenplay by David Kajinak um mm. who really focused on like the focus on motherhood and feminism and the solidarity amongst the women but also the choreography which we were talking about um with regard to Annihilation that was uh, heavily 
influenced by modern dance. So the choreography in Suspiria was by Damien Gillet. Um, and I really liked the link between dance and witchcraft. I thought mm-hmm. that was so cool. Um, and the score by Tom York. One thing I, I was reading about that I found amazing is um, all of the actresses, except for Dakota Johnson in the dance troupe. Dakota Johnson also, shout out. Oh, so awesome. Awesome, awesome um, and, and trained to be a dancer mm-hmm. like to do yeah. this. But all the other girls were actual dancers, including yeah. the woman Olga, who like gets contorted mm-hmm. in that room. That is not CG. She is really contorted. Are you body. serious? I'm dead serious. That's unreal. It is so unbelievable. Those two major dance set pieces, the contortion set piece, and then the culminating dance set piece that corresponds. And the dance that, no, and the, well, the dance that, you know, Dakota Johnson is doing while she's being yeah. contorted. So both, there's Absolutely, two. yeah. That's and then time. the, um, the sort of what I will call the culminating dance sequence that corresponds with a trip down into the crypt and there's the sort of all these reveals about the contorted bodies. These are among my favorite scenes in any film yeah. of the year. I think that there's a, you know, there's a shambolic kind of rough around the edges quality to Suspiria. Yeah, I don't love the ending. It yeah. still never lands for me. It, it like doesn't. That final scene. There's a lot of loose ends and rough edges that make it made it hard for me to put it in the absolute top tier. As, as much as I might have felt that it belonged there as soon as the film was done, um, but on a scene by scene basis, there's just some of the most indelible horror stuff that I've seen in. in geez, man, in a major American cineplex. I mean, that contortion scene. It's, Very it's, cool. I mean, it's, I mean, that ending scene too, although it's obviously, uh, we've talked about this a little more CG than I'd like it to yeah. be. It's still so out and out bomb. Yeah. It's, a, it's it, like, it's it, a, it makes up for it. A, a pulverizing horror vision. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so that is your number eight film. That is Suspiria. Yes, absolutely. And that was also on my list. I'm going to, uh, I'll read another one. Um, again, that one's going to be on your list. That one's going to be on your list. Let let me be my next one, be Madeline's Madeline, mm. which is kind of a film that uh, critic David Ehrlich had uh, really championed at the beginning yes. of the year and yeah. turned a lot of people onto. I was one of those people. He did not put it on his top ten list. Yeah. I thought he that made, was a real, he, I was a real, real bootleg move. He made a lot of wiener moves with his top uh, his top list of the year. Yeah, David Ehrlich, you're never going to want to be. Yeah, on I mean, the red we we see the receipts with your letterbox <laughs> grades, buddy. You know, it's true. you don't have to pretend with us we see the receipts (laughs) yeah it's true he gave that a five like how how would you not it it doesn't make any sense so madeline's madeline on amazon prime right now so if any of this sounds good and i would highly recommend almost anyone see it it's not like a it's a very strange movie it's not very linear but it's not very like violent or scary or anything like that um like a lot of the movies that we talk about on the red carpet so you know if you're if uh, we're we're talking to sensitive evan like who are we kidding right now sure sure. um and so madeline's madeline uh it is josephine decker's uh, fourth feature film but her first to kind of feature any uh hollywood uh, actors or actresses and even that comes in the form of molly parker who is kind of more of a character actress sure. you know from uh, deadwood and a, a couple and she's in the wicker man remake i love her she's an excellent excellent i thought actress. you were gonna say i love the wicker man remake I was gonna be like, <laughs> okay um prior to uh josephine decker's first two features she was most famous for sitting in front of marina Ab- abramovic uh, during the artist is present and stripping naked in the middle of the MoMA in an attempt to make herself as vulnerable as a uh, Marina Abamovic makes you know, to all of us, like in her thing, okay, okay. and is escorted away by the police. Um, pretty amazing. Wild. Yes. Um, and this movie was very much made in a sort of a very Charlie Kaufman-esque okay. sort of like yeah. movie within a movie. Yeah. Um, she was a judge for like uh, like some sort of like performing art school, and she discovered the main actress, whose name is Helena Howard, 
Um, she was only 15 wow. at the time, and everyone was like performing these like duets from Frozen, and she came and did a monologue from uh, David Harrower's Blackbird about a heroine who confronts the man who sexually abused her. Whoa. And Josephine Decker burst out into tears and was like, I want to work with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it begins to explore like what it's like to tell someone's else tell someone else's story and how like that very nature um you know you ex- you're kind of exploiting that person but also telling their story and like how that like where that line divides and a lot of this is interesting is because um helena howard is obviously like multiracial mm-hmm. um, yeah and josephine decker is a white lady just like uh molly parker is in the movie the movie also concerns with a young um a theater performer who who is played by Helena Howard, uh, whose mother is played excellently by J- Miranda July, who seems to maybe have some sort of mental illness um, and is being either pushed forward or helped greatly by um, this very mercurial director mm-hmm. played by yeah. Molly Parker. Um, I have so much more to say about this movie. I absolutely love it. It's dazzling. Um, the sound and editing is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, Helena Howard and Molly Parker are just absolutely incredible. It's a very hard movie to wrap your head around. I know you also saw it. Do you have any takes? Did this make your list? It did not make my list, no. Um, but I really liked it. Um, it would be in the sort of sub-honorable mention category for me, perhaps. Might have something to do with the fact that I only saw the film once. I don't wonder if it would have cracked open a little bit for me on the second time because I found the the, the style and the editing and the musicality of the film to be, I mean, delicious, but a bit overwhelming and sort of bracing. Howard is sensational. This is an incredible, intuitive performance from a young actress. Um, and really, what you think of this movie will probably make or break on what you think of how much time they spend focused on her and her eccentricities and... You know, the sort of like un- like uncomfortable exploratory focus of the film on her subjectivity, her growth as an artist, her trauma, things like that. Um, really special film. Just really one of those things that is, this is the story, really one of those movie movies. You know, yeah, like this yeah, is yeah. this is a story that is a movie. It can only be told as a movie. Yes. Um, and... I just uh, totally wild. I don't don't really know what to make of it, but I am excited to watch it again and sort of maybe maybe pick it apart a little bit more. But um, this is one of the movies you recommended to me that I was really glad I followed up on. I thought this movie was really special. Yeah, and I think it's one of the best political movies of the year. Mm. You know, it really um, explores sort of like stories and bodies mm. and like who who owns those stories and who is allowed to tell yeah. them in a way that it seems like Josephine Decker struggles with a lot herself yeah. if like yeah. you read interviews with her. Um, and I just liked it. I mean, it, it's not... I mean, I would say it's like subtle, but it's like it doesn't have a message. It doesn't like yeah. tell you what you should think of that. It's not Green Book. No, it's not a didactic film. No. Um, it's a very sort of like an intuitive, like personal narrative political film rather than being a sort of like capital P political film for sure. Yeah. It's like capital P Molly Parker. <laughs> <laughs> so that is Madeline's Madeline, and y'all can watch it for free right now on Amazon Prime. And we highly recommend that you do. If you have any interesting takes on that, please write us in at theredcarpet at gmail.com. It is the kind of movie that really welcomes takes. Yeah, absolutely. And personal responses and a sort of like a more in, like like intuitive, like feelings-based response rather than a strictly sort of like front-lobe critical one. It's, it would be a hard movie to sort of pick apart without, 
you know, sort of revealing too much about like what you think about art and what you think about movies and what you think the relationship between people who create things and themselves are. It's a it's fascinating. It's just a fascinating film. Just really, really cool. And uh, uh, I'm glad to see it was hard to find on Prime and it has an awful poster. Oh my God, the poster is abysmal. Yeah, please folks. That is the movie we recommended. <laughs> the, the, poster, the poster is nothing like, the movie's nothing like that poster. I think that's one of the reasons this movie, um, which was put out by like a mid-level uh, mm-hmm. distribution house, which is like a Oscilloscope mm-hmm. um, did not really catch on is because it's a very hard movie to market. It's like very hard to even describe what it's about. I will read the IMDb summary, which is like so uh, capsule mm-hmm. compared to the movie. A theater director's latest project takes on a life of its own when her young star takes her performance too seriously. I think I said this when we reviewed this the first time and read it. I don't even know if that's necessarily like a correct no, summation. I, I'm not sure that it is. I will also say that the title of the film is the kind of thing that it might take too much time to explain to people and they might be exhausted with the idea of watching the film by the time you're done with it. <laughs> like so, Madeline's Madeline. Yeah, and so yeah. if you're not exhausted yet, it's Madeline's Madeline. What is your number seven? Your number seven? Is that what number we're up to on your numbered list? Yes, it is number seven. If you're not exhausted yet, Tom Cruise is exhausted for oh, you after baby. the absolutely... Um, like fully committed performance he gives in Mission Impossible Fallout, which is my number seven film. This and my number six film, I would call the technique wing of my top ten list. Um, films whose sheer ingenuity and verb, verve and commitment to their creative process and technique just by willpower alone made them some of the most impressive and I think noteworthy films of the year. Um... Love Mission Impossible Fallout. It's the film that I saw and then went to bed and then woke up the next morning and went and saw again. Another sort of unique signpost flag to pin in my um, sure. 2018 movie making. I've seen it four times total. Oh, you have? Yeah. Oh, just a tremendous... I mean, these action sequences, just just catnip. I, I can't... We, no, enough has already been said. It absolutely follows through on the hype in terms of how awesomely conceived and... Directed they are by Christopher McQuarrie. Um, just beautiful a, movie, just gorgeous, be, un, unbelievably well made. And I'm not even sure that I could pick. Can you pick your favorite action sequence? I think we did this in when we reviewed the film. I like the jumping out of the plane bit. The jump- and I like the subversion with like him getting struck by lightning. Yeah, I would say the one that I think back on the most fondly is the fight in the bathroom, particularly the technique of not having. Oh and, yeah, the fight in the bathroom's yeah, real Yeah, not good. having any soundtrack, having it be the sort of like background with the bass thump and the crunching. And the... I mean, I, I you know, so this did not make my list, but mm-hmm. it is in my honorable mentions. Yeah. I'm a little bit of a snob. I can't put Mission Impossible okay, on my yeah, list. Yeah. But the scene of like Henry Cavill putting his two fists up, Un- like unreal. It's, it's so indelible. And shout out to Henry Cavill. We, we already had talked about this off air. Sexy man. Really sexy. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's just like him and Cruz together, just a really great yin and yang, you know, coupled with the chemistry with Ving Rhames and mm-hmm. Simon Pegg and Bridget Monaghan. It's just, it, it all really came together. I have some minor gripes that maybe like would have kept it off my, mm-hmm. my top yeah. list. The whole like Messiah complex thing, like never yeah. always kind of grinds on me every time I watch it. Um, shout out to my dad who we watched it for his birthday, who fell asleep during the key action scene in Paris with the motorcycle, woke up and said, this movie is too complicated. There's too many people in it. Yeah. Maybe he's, maybe he's having a really complicated dream. Uh, I wouldn't put it past Tom Siblo Sr. to have a really complicated dream and then blame it on Tom there's, Cruise. There's, yeah. there's, a, there's, I mean, people blaming things on Tom Cruise, it's like it's its own podcast. It's a cottage right? industry. Yeah, 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 sure, yeah. sure. Um, there are a lot of characters, to be fair. 
But no, uh, no, now, no. now that I'm thinking about it, my favorite action set piece is him running around London on the Thames. I, when I lived in London, shout out to London, uh, I lived right across from the Tate Modern, which is the elevator they go up where the helicopter takes mm-hmm. off. I'm not sure there's an actually a helipad on top of the Tate yeah, Modern. Can't yeah. vouch for that. But I used to run where Tom Cruise ran, not nearly as fast and did not look nearly as good. Yeah. Um, but oh man, you know, you see him hurt his ankle and it's such a crucial, it's incredible. you know, and it's right when he hits his chest, it mm-hmm. looks like it hurts so much as he's jumping off this building. Love the fallout. Yeah. Really, I, this is another movie where I felt sort of yeah. confident that you'd put it on your list, mm-hmm. and so I, I did yeah. not. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I, there are many nits to pick narratively, but um, the the sheer white knuckle. I mean, the way that they have to do the bomb with like two bombs. Yeah, it's pulling the cords, pulling the thing off. It's unbelievable. It's it's weird, man. Because my temptation is to say that I think the um like Byzantine like spy plot stuff is intentionally arch but the movie also very takes the tom cruise messiah stuff very seriously so it's kind of a tonal mess all that aside i'll figure it out i'll figure it out right right all that aside inject the bare knuckle action stuff directly into my veins i can't not put this on my list it's totally awesome yeah great so that is number seven that is mission impossible fallout for mr tom whalen uh my next favorite movie is definitely not going to be on your list because it is Fucking Mandy. Oh, Mandy. <laughs> the movie I have been apologizing for not liking uh, me for and Ra- six Me months. and Ryan were, uh, were texting. Ryan, uh, shout out to Ryan of the Fringe Drinking Podcast. We're texting about, of course, pop punk, and then your bad takes on Mandy. Uh, so Mandy is the psychedelic action horror film directed by Panos Cosmatos, awesome name, and written by uh, Cosmatos and Aaron Stewart on. Uh, it features one of the last films to be scored by frequent Denny Villeneuve musical collaborator Johan Johansson. Incredible score uh, and stars Nicolas Cage and Andrew Risenborough. Uh, I would describe it as a near perfect, imperfect movie. Um, I think the visuals are really strong. I mean, unbelievable. Maybe the, the movie that most mimics what it's like to be on drugs. Like, it doesn't show people on drugs. It makes you feel like you're on drugs, which is pretty awesome. And, you, you know, you can't even really have a bad trip. You can just turn it off. Shout out to the kids. Yeah, yeah. Shout, shout out to Dare. Shout out to Benjamin. Uh, <laughs> shout, out, shout out to nephew Benjamin. To, do not talk about my nephew like that. Drugs are awesome. Shout out. <laughs> um, I think the movie has a really strong internal sort of dream logic and not unlike uh, the, the, the side of logic we talked about uh, when we talked about Twin Peaks, The Return. Or perhaps Suspiria. And yeah, like yeah, that. and yeah, David yeah. Lynch. Um, I love, like, the way that the the real violence and ugliness of the movie... Again, like, I think all my favorite movies have these, like, little political nuggets in these, like, larger, like, genre films. And, you know, there's a scene where this cult has, has stolen Mandy, and this guy, like, strips down naked and, like, puts his, his like junk in her face and she just like laughs at him and he's basically so shamed that he burns her alive yeah um and then the rest of the movie is Nicolas cage being so sick um and you know avenging her in a, in a wild wild fashion um and yeah i just i love that moment and i love how that speaks to kind of the moment at large right now uh, like in cinema and in the world um but you know again not too didactic here you know really like house in in the shell of a genre movie there's another movie that i think came out this year also on my list that does that very well 
Um, and yeah, and I think it might be, if not the first, the best art house action movie. Like, it is definitely an action movie, and it is definitely an art house yeah, movie. Yeah. And yeah, and that's a, a mashup I could not say no to. And you love Mandy. This is one of your favorite films of the year as well. So, uh, folks, it is not. But um, if you folks <laughs> want to hear me sounding like the worst version of myself and talking about... Not only talking about what I don't like about Mandy, but also like sort of hedging like a weenie about my own takes and saying things like, I'm glad that Mandy exists and plays in multiple. I always love that. People say that on podcasts all the time. I'm glad this movie exists. It's like, yeah, uh, Roma thanks you. Yeah. 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 If you want to um, hear these terrible takes, you can go back and check uh, the Rag Carpet Archives, theragcarpet.com. I'm sure you don't and I'm sure you won't. But um, what I will (laughs) say. All fair. All fair. What I will say, if we can get a little insider uh, baseball here, is it was so funny. Ryan, shout out to Ryan was uh, texting me, I can't believe that you don't like money. And I'm just like, at this point, so exhausted with hearing this from people. And I'm just like, like, I'm like, just listen, dude, art is subjective. I don't know what to tell you. And then he like, normally he would sort of like keep going back and forth. But this is obviously the point where he was like, collapsing the, the Tom Whalen text window and opening the Tom Siblo text window and just being like, I'm going to text with Tom Siblo yeah. about how much of a jerk Tom sure. Whalen is. So, he couched it in this yeah. like, hey, want to talk about Iron Sheik? Like, Whalen's take on Mandy's real bad. Like, that was, uh... <laughs> Uh, I, love so, to, I love talking Iron Cheek. I love talking about your bad takes. Yeah, so Anyone want to get at me with those? This you is can some of the best stuff in 2018, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so that movie is Mandy. I don't think it's streaming on any of the major platforms. It's, it's not for free. It's streaming on Shudder. On Shudder, yeah. yeah so it, you can watch it for free if you're already a subscriber to Shudder, which is not free. Um, or you could pay for it on Amazon Prime. Uh, Tom, Tom gave a look to me after like, saying, which is not free, like he was just really like, like help me out here. What's yeah, going yeah, on? Like, I don't oh, know what I'm man, doing. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> Is anything really free? Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm going to wait until some kind of like sick Blu-ray, but I'm very mm. excited to see it again. Yeah. So what is your number six movie? So this, along with Mission Impossible Fallout, is my uh, like sort of the top of my bottom five, my two... Uh... Are you explaining us like numerical like values? It's like, oh, yeah. so listen, I'm doing number six. It's after five, but it's before okay. seven. Okay, the top of my bottom five. Which Benjamin's is... going to love this. Benjamin, getting, this is actually the good stuff. But Benjamin, are you paying attention? Get some, take something right with that. Benjamin. All right. Um, Don't watch Mandy Benjamin. Uh, this is the only, I, I will couch it in saying it is a film whose technique I appreciate and which inspired awe. But I will say it was the, I think the only film in 2018 that made me cry in the theater. And that film is Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs. And the reason I cried is because I freaking love dogs. And uh, this movie's beautiful. It is strictly a absolute unparalleled accomplishment of stop motion animation technique it is meticulous and detail oriented in a way that i cannot even fathom um a handmade stop motion miniature film populated by talking dogs um and just the 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 way that they that anderson captured the look and the mannerism of the dogs but also the sort of like the atmosphere of loving dogs um, the role that dogs play in our consciousness, in our sense of love, in our sense of dedication, um, in our sense of loyalty. Um, it's just such a cool film, such a beautiful film. Um, and, uh, you know, one that, um, I know is going to be sort of like near and dear for me. Just, I, it just, I just love this film so much. I caught the second half of it on TV recently and thought I had this like kind of down in like a sort of honorable mention spots are lower on the list and I just thought 
Who am I kidding? Who am I trying to impress? I knew this I, would be on your dude, list. I knew I it would be on your absolutely list. Shout out to Pemulus, who is Tom's dog. Yes, and who you probably heard a little bit earlier. Pemulus, you're a good boy. Please be quiet. <laughs> yeah, I just rewatched Isle of Dogs, and I wasn't quite as smitten with it as mm-hmm. I was the first time, but I still liked it a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Love Anderson. The voice talent is incredible. Amazing. I think Edward Norton, who was also in Moonrise Kingdom, is now my platonic ideal of like communicator of Wes Anderson dialogue. Absolutely. There's something about it that's so good he really nails it Goldblum also really nails it really really gets it down and what I will say is I have for a long time sort of lamented asked this question in amusing lamentative if that's a word way whatever happened to Ed Norton you know we had this strong run and then all of a sudden he's in that stupid film with Will Smith and whatever but maybe we should stop asking that question he's finding a real late career groove in these Anderson films and I think they really use a lot of what makes him so appealing really really well yeah, yeah. I think they play into more of his aw shucks mm-hmm. boisiness rather than like that dark edge that I think he tried to take on after American History X. Yeah, and that dark edge that's really replicable by a number of different actors. Sure. And Norton has a real, that aw shucks quality is, I mean, it's not, he didn't invent it, but there's something about his brand of that that I would rather have that and have him doing that. That feels like a more unique property than his, you know, build a house. Jack, you know, the Jack Tyler Durden stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, say what? Like, is he on, is he on a HGTV? I was, I was or filing, like... filing through famous Fight Club quotes and build a house, which is not something that Edward Norton no, says yeah, in the movie. Or, like, yeah. or anyone quotes from Fight Club. It's not quite what's in the yeah. box. Yeah, I would love to have that moment back, but I don't think Tom's going to give it to me. Nope, I don't think so. My next pick is Revenge. Uh, did you see this one? I think you Love did. Revenge. Yeah, Watch yeah. it also streaming on Shudder for free, but you have to pay for Shudder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> free with a subscription to Shudder. Um, so Revenge is directed and written by Coralie Farragut, a French film director. I will read you the IMDb synopsis since I think most people probably have not seen this film. Uh, Jen is the main character, is enjoying a romantic getaway with her wealthy boyfriend until his two sleazy friends arrive for an unannounced hunting trip. I don't think it's unannounced. I'm pretty sure that that was the plan. I, who writes these IMDb? Those people Why are do like we trust people them? half asleep. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. As tension mounts in the house, the situation abruptly and viciously intensifies, culminating in a shocking act that leaves Jen brutalized and left for dead. Unfortunately for her assailants, she survives and soon begins a relentless quest for bloody revenge. Stars Matilda Anna Ingrid Lutz. That's one person. She is uh, Jen. She is incredible in this movie. But I also want to give a shout out to Kevin Jansen's and Vincent, uh, uh, it looks like uh, Cologne. Um, who play two of the assailants who are just so, so good and bring so much to what could just be like a typical villain part. I mean, at no point do I find them sympathetic because they're such monsters, but bring a depth that I think is not given to most villains in film. And I mean, this movie, total genre film, over the top, like revenge movie, but also super political as like there's this very sexualized woman who is very sexualized by the director, who is a woman, and then, you know, goes on to subvert this by coming back and being, you know, growing into this, like, incredible badass um, without ever really losing that sexuality. Um, yeah, it, it's it's absolutely amazing. It's it's colorful. It's beautiful. Uh, do you have any takes on this? Oh, absolutely. In the great tradition of grindhouse exploitation films, you know, it's, it's one of those movies that feels like you know, it's going to give you a couple of those elements of titillation, whether it be the sexuality or the violence, but then it's going to give you that, and then it's going to give you so much more. It's going to give you such a a, a rich, 
wild, visceral film. Um, and I will also say it makes a great, I keep thinking about it as a pair with Tenebrae in its got an incredible blood smeared on the wall uh-huh. set piece that once you see it, you will never forget it. It yeah. is, um, Revenge is awesome. Revenge, Revenge is, is so absolutely cool. awesome. Uh, and one thing I really want to call attention to sort of is like a, just a genius moment. Um, so I saw this twice and like the first time you see it, I think I saw it more as like a poor, pure genre film, but I think the second time I saw a lot more of the political stuff mm-hmm. or like the kind of allegory going on here mm-hmm. um, that the director's kind of trying to get across. Um, and the way the assault, which is like the the crucial uh, moment in this that, that kicks off the action, is shot in which like you don't really see it, but that like a second character, like a friend of the assailant, mm-hmm. walks in, sees what's going on. And, like, there's, like, this close-up. He's, like, kind of fat, like, eating this chocolate. And, like, uh, like mouth-chewing grossness is one of my all-time favorite things in movies. I love it. And just the casualness in which he, like, continues to eat, like, this disgusting, like, piece of chocolate as, like, this woman is being assaulted. And he, like, walks out, closes the door, and, like, when he hears her scream, he, like turns on like the TV and it's NASCAR and it's loud so he doesn't have to deal with it. This is like all dealing with like a lot of heavy, mm-hmm. very current political stuff, but you know, it shows it. I mean, this is like a wordless yeah. passage, yeah. you know, and then there is like what is ultimately this like strange like growth moment in this woman who we all doubt because she's so beautiful and like the way that she is shot she becomes this like total badass. And it's also very funny in a very gory way. Mm. Like it is very gory. I mean, the amount of blood is mm. un- unbelievable. Yeah, and that, I mean, it's literally unbelievable. It's, yeah, I mean, like yeah. literally, like it is more blood that is in anyone's body is, mm-hmm. is spurt in like one scene. Mm-hmm. And the final scene when she finally, I mean, spoilers here, she gets her revenge, mm-hmm. like turns the table on the guy and he's like naked and like covered in blood and kind of looks like like straight like birthed and and so vulnerable. The whole thing is fantastic. Oh, it's awesome. If you have a stomach for gore, you should watch Revenge. It's oh, probably like the best gory movie that came out, I'd say, in twenty. I would agree. One of the, if not the best, certainly one of the notable sort of gore films of the year. And again, so it's much on, fun. I saw yeah. this with Evan, Sensitive Evan, who even had a good sound with it, and CJ. And even when I was watching it again, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's like one of those movies where like. You know, things are going on and you're you're wincing and, and there's just such great suspense in the second half, like sort of watching the men lose their minds, like when they realize like how out of their yeah. depth that they are and just breaking down. This is definitely one that is going to make the revival rounds, at least I hope selfishly, because I didn't get to see it on the big screen with the crowd. And I, I hope a couple of years down the line, this is one that people bring back so that, that we get a chance, those of us who, who missed it the first time around, get a chance to see it with the crowd just howling. Yeah, and I'm really uh, eager to see. I mean, uh, this woman had a, a one other movie called, I think, Reality, uh, Coralie Farragut. Okay. Um, and I, I'm interested to see what she's going to do next. Mm, yeah, yeah. You know, following. Same. I mean, it seems same. like this is like, kind of been a breakout for her. So. Yeah, absolutely. So your number five pick that comes before six. After yes, six, it does. Right? You got you got a hand in the numbers. So okay. here's what I will say. Um, this was an interesting year for me. Um, I didn't have any film that I graded a on any new 2018 film that I graded a five out of five on Letterboxd. I had two last year, my top two films, Phantom Thread and Lady Bird. Um, I don't know if this says anything about the quality of the films. It might have more to say about my stinginess with the 5 out of 5 perfect film grade. As I say it, though, I'm saying it because each of my top five films, I at least gave a sort of cup of coffee with my number one spot. Some of them got a stronger cup, but each of my top films I thought about at some point as being my number one film of the year. Um, so we'll begin with five, the one that had the sort of like 
drew the shortest straw here. Um, that is Bradley Cooper's A Star Is Born, um, which was uh, really one of the one of to, to me one of the purest entertainments of the year. One of my favorite theatrical experiences of the year. Um, a film that surprised me more than perhaps any other film. A film that I loved more than I thought I would. Um, I think Gaga and Cooper are both sensational. I think Cooper, the directing job is incredible. I think there's a real texture to the editing of the film. I think it's an awesome love story. A really deeply felt love story. I really love these characters. I love the music. Um, really loved everything about this film. I can't wait to see it again. It's the only one of the films in my top five that I did not see multiple times now. So um, I wonder if that isn't to the film's advantage. I wonder if I would like it as much sure. the second time. Um, but I have an enormous amount of enthusiasm for this film. I'm really excited to see it again. I know it's lost some steam in the Oscar race, but it's going to be... I think it's one of... This and my number four film are... Uh, uh, which I, I know is on your list. Um, are um, A Star is Born is a... you know Maybe its contendership isn't as strong as it was when it came out, but this is going to be one of the ones that I'm going to be rooting for come Oscar season. I'm certainly going to be rooting... For Gaga to take home the brass, I think she deserves it. Um, Tom, I know you were not nearly as high on this one as I was. No, I was not. Although I am looking forward to seeing it again. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I actually kind of wince the fact that it's like up for Oscars because, like, I think even if I think it's good, there's kind of a ceiling to its goodness. It's mm -hmm. really cheesy, and I think the cheese is kind of part of the story and mm -hmm. part of the point. Um, but I don't know if it always works for me. I do want to key off this to say amazing uh, year for like actors turned directors, mm -hmm. right? You got Bradley Cooper with The Star Is Born. You have Ethan Hawke put out one of my least favorite movies of the year, but people love it called Blaze. Yeah. Uh, Paul Dano put out Wildlife, which was just fine. Yeah. Um, we have John Krasinski, A Quiet Place. That's right. Yes. Right. Jonah Hill, mid nineties. Yes. Um, A Quiet Place, which is one of my honorable mentions. Mid nineties, which is one of my worst. Uh, and also this movie that I'm going to talk about now. Um, called Vox Lux. And oh. this actor is not really as quite as well known as some of these other actors, but uh, he was written and directed by Brad uh, Brady Corbett, um, who is something of like a, a young, handsome character actor. Um, Vox Lux defies genre. Um, this is a movie where like there were people in my theater, I, I think I mentioned this when, I, when we reviewed it formally, or informally, where like they were like disgusted by it. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dave Chen, one of my favorite uh, movie podcast hosts of the Slash Filmcast, uh, shout out to Dave Chen, said it was one of the worst movies suggested people not go see it. That he generally doesn't like to say things like that, but found it to be an ugly and appalling movie. Uh -huh. It's sick, guys. Yeah, that, that sounds that sounds great to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's like I mean, it's the kind of movie that like Josh Larson would hate. Yeah, sure. Um, it Shout is... out to Josh Larson. Oh, <laughs> um, so I will read from the IMDb, which we've already established is kind of a, a whack, uh, sure, whack sure. summation, but it's what we've got. An unusual set of circumstances brings unexpected success to a pop star. The stars Raffi Cassidy, which eagle-eared listeners of the red carpet might remember. We talked about her when we talked about Tomorrowland. Uh, she's the little girl, a uh, little English girl, who's obviously a bit older in this. She plays a dual role. She plays a young version of Natalie Portman. And then like a, another section of the movie is like Natalie Portman. Um, and, and then she plays Natalie Portman's daughter. Uh, it also stars Jet Wacky. Whoa. Uh, it also stars Jude Law and Willem Dafoe narrates. Uh, the score is by Scott Walker. The biggest ever shout out to my boy Scott Walker. Not the senator. No, 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 no. Scott Walker. Scott the... Walker, the 60s uh, pop musician turned avant-garde yeah. artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the score uh, reflects that. Um, Natalie Portman plays a pop singer in this. Um, and the pop music is written by Sia 
not my bag necessarily. Uh Um, And and really, uh, the whole third act is something I'm still kind of unpacking. This was one I only got to see one time. But really made such an impact because it's so strange and experimental and weird. And like Natalie Portman's performance is unreal. It's like pure bravado. Like the fact that we live in a world where she will not be nominated for an Oscar for this movie because it is a little bit of an ugly movie or kind of makes links between pop music and terrorism that are making a lot of people not very comfortable or or people find like appalling. But she is all in. It's the kind of over-the-top performance that like I think we love from people like Al Pacino mm-hmm. or like Jack Nicholson that like maybe some people don't like or right. don't respond to, but it's fantastic. And this Raffi Cassidy, I mean, we had kind of identified this when we reviewed Tomorrowland, an enormous talent. And I think I, I saw her in something else that I can't remember offhand. And Jude Law, excellent. He plays like the manager. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, just super, super awesome. Um, and one thing that people seem to be like really hating on is that like at one point, Natalie Portman says you know, she's interviewing as a pop musician. She says, like, I just want, I don't want people to think when I hear my music. And it sounds like a lot of people who are, like, are poptimists, a term about, like, sort of, like, seeing the art in pop music, you know, modern pop music, which is something that I can assure you Tom Whalen and I are not. Um, you know, sorry, it's true. Um, <laughs> they're, they're a little butthurt about, like, this part of the movie, that they feel like Brady Corbett is like making the statement about pop music. I don't see it that way. I think uh-huh. it's something bigger, but it seems to be what a lot of people are glomming onto critically. This is like a pretty divisive film about like what they don't like about it, that it's making a statement about pop music. I don't think it's really making a statement about pop music per se, or it is as part of a larger point. Mm. Really eager to see it again. That movie is a Fox Lux. This is um the movie I most regret not having ready to talk with you about for like this the corpse list. is tan i feel like also. yeah one a one a and one b yeah. yeah i'm very excited to see this yeah those two i think this one i'm more interested in your takes because there's so much to unpack like you will love let the corpse yeah is sure, sure, like, sure 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 no. mm-hmm. i this is a tough movie to love yeah. you know it's it's pretty it's pretty dark yeah so what is your number four movie so my number four movie speaking this, of dark uh, is this well not quite not quite okay, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. i love how I, i'm trying to intro what i know is going yeah. to be some of your this is a movie i know will appear on your list rather high up um and that i, I mean it is my titular yeah yeah um so this is a uh a movie called the favorite uh yorgos lanthimos um also also on my list i i, I don't it is my favorite movie you would say it's your yeah. favorite film of the year yeah um I went and saw it a second time. Um, three for me, buddy. Three boy. for you. Holy cow! I mean, what? What an incredibly entertaining film. I mean, just line for line dialogue. Incredible. It is hilarious. So good. I also, I mean, there, there's so much to say about this film. Um, so I just want to focus on one <laughs> of the things I particularly love about the film. And this is kind of a macro take rather than a micro take. Is I love the sort of Trojan horse element of this film where it invites people to what they think is going to be a very mannered costume war room drama and then features the C word about a dozen times. I was actually I was actually going to say that like um, I have like kind of a couple of favorite theater moments this year. Mm-hmm. I thought we maybe would talk about that a little bit at mm-hmm. the end. Yeah. Um, and one of them is Widows, which we'll talk about it uh, kind of later on. Mm-hmm. But the other was this movie that every time I've seen it, there was like a line, and it's not even that. No, I know it's the not line. that. It's not I, that line. I know. And there's it, let's like just a, say in. Inside yeah, yeah, yeah. Me. Inside, inside like, me it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like every single time, there's an audible 
gasp from the audience. That is oh yeah. so perfect. Um, but you know you've done it right when the audience. Oh, does. absolutely. And I mean, you know you've done it right when you've created when you've given us all the pleasure of an ornate period specific costume drama. The costuming, the um, sets, the interior, exterior design, um, and you've given us. I mean, I, I'm not. <sighs> I have another funny film, I'll put funny in quotes, um, that is higher on my list. Um, but this is, I think, the best pure... It's a comedy. It's a, <laughs> that movie is not... Like, it's okay, not okay, okay. Same. Listen, this is the best pure comedy of the year. I think it is by a mile. This own. is the best comedy you could recommend to friends. Yeah. Um, this is... Uh, what an accomplishment. The performances are all... The main performances are all awesome. Um, this is... And, and uh, I, um, Sofa, Sophie, it's her name on uh, Peep Show. Olivia, Olivia Coleman just won the Golden Globe, right? She did. And I, I'm really, I mean, in my heart of hearts, this is the film that I would like to see totally take down the Oscars. We'll yes, see what, me too. We'll me see too. what Bohemian Rhapsody has to say about it and Green Book, I guess. I'm sorry, uh, Tom just, we're going to have to revive Tom. <laughs> we're going to revive Tom. Um, but this is the film that is the real, uh, A Star is Born I have a lot of love for. This is the film that is the... the this is like one of ours. This feels like a coup. Absolutely. Like, so let me let me let me kind of give you a little in case you haven't heard of the favorite or are on the fence. This is the kind of weird sapphic period comedy directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, written by Tony McNamara and Deborah Davis. The first of his films not to be written by him. Mm. Um, and you but can still tell. has you can tell, but yet it still has like his it's much it. more it's, inviting on a textual level than any film he's ever done. Yes, and it's a success. It's a quiet. It's, it's been a really quiet hit. It's freaking awesome. Yeah. I mean, it made thirty million on a fifteen million dollar budget, and it's still going. Yeah, for um, a movie that's probably going to have a little bad word of mouth because of the number sure. of people who did not get what they expected. Yeah, um, that's kind of an accomplishment. I think actually, once it gets nominated for a bunch of Oscars, it'll there really be even like a little bit more. The real. That's when the real fun yeah, is on, yeah, right? When I, like yeah. my mom and dad are going to see it, you know. Like, <laughs> They're going to be horrified. Yeah. I mean, everyone who I've told, I mean, I saw it three times. So like every time I told someone I'd seen it, everyone was either like, I saw it and I loved it or I'm dying to see that movie. Um, it's great. And so Rachel Weiss, Olivia Coleman, um, Emma Stone, but let's give a shout out to what I'm calling like the sixth man award of the year to my boy, Nicholas Holt. Unbelievable. So, so good. And a seventh man award to Horatio the Duck. Who's so sick? Shout out, quack out, yeah, yeah, shout out, yeah, quack yeah, out yeah, yeah. to the uh, I mean, Nichols Hall gets some of the best lines. He's amazing. Um, this is the second time I really keyed in. I mean, I think that would be the experience yeah, for a lot yeah. of people because I think the women really are front and center here, yes. and they're they deserve every inch of the front and center. They are yes. tremendous, but he's unreal. Yeah, he's so I mean, funny. he's such a great cad, and yeah. like you know, really like I mean, think like. He just makes the movie pop in like a certain way. Like everyone else's humor is a little bit more subdued, and because he plays such a flamboyant character and delivers these like over the top lines, it has these like just like intense. He's like more intense emotions than almost any of the other women show through the whole movie in like a single scene. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really like the energy that he brings, um, and I, I really like how all of the shots show the beautiful ceilings. You know, which kind of reminds you how like boxed in these like yeah. women really are. And the camera is very close to the ground at a lot of points yeah. to further emphasize that. So yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and you know, we're all just bunnies in a cage, my friends. I mean, Absolutely. That's, that's all I have to say. Shout out to the woman in front of me. Can't remember if I said this when we reviewed it or if it was one of the second times that I saw it, but saw the movie. The ending it happens. We won't say like what the ending is. And the woman in front of me audibly said, "I really hope that that was not the ending." And, and then like, it was, yeah. Sick. Yeah. <laughs> also, shout out to um, a technique that I do not usually love in films, which is the title to chapter designation, which I think is 
a tremendous used to tremendous effect here that chapter titles are so fun they create this little element where once the chapter title comes up you know to anticipate that line yeah. in this section and you wonder like who's gonna say and it's it. almost yeah, yeah. always just an incredibly funny um perfect little slice of dialogue to excise oh man this movie is um what a treat what a treat so i only have two more movies on my list and i know one of them is on your list and so what is your number three movie? Uh, my number three film. And this is, we're really getting into the heart of these next three films. I love it. Tom, you're still explaining numbers. Like it's number three. Like you don't have to explain that this is like, we're getting to the top. Like obviously. all I'm really saying is that these next three films are really close. And I really had like on my little letterbox top 10, I had each of these three films in the one spot at some point. Um, my number three film is Lars von Trier's The House That Jack Built. Um, which I just rewatched with Ryan Patrick Williams. Yet another shout out to Ryan Patrick Williams. Um, I saw what ended up being the rated R version. I was we were all given the opportunity to watch the unrated version and was very keen to see the absolutely hair raising particulars. What did they take out? Um, I will say a child exploding with blood. <laughs> and um, I will spoilers for the house. I will the say a detailed section of something being sliced off. Okay. Um, and you can understand, I think, if you've seen the films, sure. why these... Lars Frontier, quite a slicer. Quite a slicer, yeah. Um, I, it, it held up for me a second time. I thought that the... I mean, this is the, um, m the, the film that most deeply electrified me upon initially seeing it. Um, I'm not even going to apologize for that um, in terms of... I mean, you should, but I have it on my list too, yeah. so we won't. Um, so fair, fair enough. Um, it electrified me again, particularly the epilogue electrified me again this time around. Um, Dylan is tremendous. This is one of... Uh, this is a Pantheon serial killer film. It is a serial killer film unlike any other. It is not only a film, it is in some ways an essay, but a very sloppy and cir circular essay, I think intentionally so. It is fascinating. It makes an incredibly rich and weird compliment with his Nymphomaniac films, which you can stream on Netflix now, in that um, the film is both a narrative film, but also like a sort of discursive film that talks about the content of the film and the he interior. Talks about his film. Yes, and yeah. the interiority of the characters. Um, it is bold. It is hair-raisingly violent and uncomfortable. It is also freaking hilarious. Dylan gives an incredible, incredibly masterfully awkward comedic performance um oh man i absolutely love this film i know it's a hard film to love i'm gonna do it it's not that hard for me i love this film yeah i also love this film uh this is the house that jack built also on my favorites of the year list so this was written by lars von trier and Jeannie halloons uh for those of you who don't know because i don't think this movie is that popular the story follows jack a highly intelligent serial killer over the course of 12 years and depicts the murders that really develop his inner madman. Uh, I actually wrote down in my notes, maybe the funniest on my list outside of the favorite mm -hmm, as well, mm -hmm. which makes no sense since Von Trier describes the film as celebrating the idea that life is evil and soulless. Hilarious. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I love how up its own ass it is. You know, I think totally. that is a feature, not a bug. You know, I love how it speaks to the world at large, but also about Von Trier and his provocateur nature. 
Uh, in any world where people loved movies, Matt Dillon would be up for an Academy Award here. Absolutely. Like, there is no chance that he's going to get that. No um, chance. No, no chance. Zero, zero chance. He's excellent. It's like the culmination of his entire career. Yeah, we get so many flavors of Dillon. I think we talked uh, about this in the podcast, not to be too self-referential. But we're talking about Von Trier. I mean, he has clips from his own previous movies in this movie. Um, but yeah, we get so many different I, flavors. I, I remember so distinctly shaking my head when that happens in the movie. like, is he... I was like, oh, that's oh, not Yeah, that's dope. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Antichrist dope, right, for right. sure, yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, we get so many different flavors of Matt Dillon. It really it uses Dillon in a very specific way, but also gives you a lot of what has made him appealing over the years in a great variety, and I think that's another really one of the strengths of the film is is the the, the sort of that how dynamic that acting performance is, even though it is extremely specific. Sure. So what is your number two movie? Because we have to, in order for like us to kind of land. You we got to land. Okay, I've got to do two straight. Okay, uh, my number two film of the year. Not it, too straight. I was trying to hog that. It's like you'll do one, then I'll do one, and then you'll you'll finish up. Yeah? <laughs> You've started and finished. Uh, okay, you know? Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, my number two film of the year is uh, Ari Asher's Hereditary, um, which. No, I, for, I forgot. This is on my honorable mention because yeah, okay. I knew. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, oh, man, a horror classic. So um, great. Tremendous. Uh, Shout out to Big Tom Sibla, my dad, who said he couldn't sleep for a couple of nights after for, watching this. I mean, just uh, an incredible uh, an incredible uh, drama about family, um, an incredible film about the occult. Um, contains, I mean, just some of the, the images, the images of horror and violence um, and spookitude um, that have stuck with me throughout the years. I mean, I... I um, Man, I went. To, I remember I saw this and I went to sleep and was. I mean, I truly haunted, truly haunted by the film. I just watched it, rewatched it for the the third time. Um, and uh, it's hard to replicate that first time. I mean, that first time I felt it's wild, dr- like uh, another great theater moment. Absolutely, I, I felt um, like sort of drop kicked by the void um, the first time. Love how downbeat it is. Um, love the um, final scene, what I will call the yellow treehouse scene. Really, the yellow treehouse scene and that final 20-minute hysterical freakout, along with what I will call the Charlie surprise in the first 40 minutes of the film, uh, these are the things that really set it apart, but it's hard to downplay just how well-made the film is, um, how great the performances are, the detail of the design, um, both in the miniatures and in the actual house, um, the music... um, just fantastic. I I, I, uh, I absolutely love this film. Yeah, I loved it too. It was in one of my honorable mentions. Mm-hmm. Very much stoked to see what Ari Aster will do next. Very interesting. I hear a lot of people talking about how they love Hereditary, but they don't really like the occult angle. But I actually quite like the occult angle. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, listen, um, the point of the film, it appears at the end, is essentially Hail Payment. Um, it's rad. You know, and yeah, just throw, throw, throw it up. Throw yeah. the devil horns up. I mean, it, it really is an unabashed genre film, but its pedigree is truly one of great performances, real attention to interpersonal dynamics, and real heart, albeit a very, very black heart. Yeah. I just realized what your number one movie is in my head. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, okay, so my number one movie, kind of more in line with, I think, what my typical brand is, which is kind of like foreign films and dramas, and that would be Shoplifters, which is not my number one movie, even though it's the one I'm, I'm saying last, but would be in my top five for sure. I absolutely love this movie. I've seen it twice. I cannot wait to see it again. This is a Japanese movie written and directed by Hirokazu Kurita, who, uh, this, so this movie won the Palme d'Or this year at Cannes. 
Uh, it is about a family of small-time crooks who take in a child they find outside in the cold. And it's just this very like warm, wonderful, funny, slice-of-life movie about a family living in poverty and making the most out of what they have and enjoying life for what it is as it is. Um, the director himself uh, says that you know, it was influenced very much by the Japanese recession and these, like, news reports that kind of were reporting that these people were often shoplifting. Um, and it's just a very charming movie and and one of my favorite final shots of the year. Um, yeah. What did you think of Shoplifters? You saw this as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I went out on Tom's recommendation. I knew he was very enthusiastic about it. I drove to... I dragged... Broke my girlfriend, shout out, to a town whose name I cannot remember an hour into the country to see it at an art house. Um, and, uh, it was worth the trip, man. Shoplifters was great. Um, the lead, the lead female performance, I can't remember the name. Um, I don't mean to put you on the spot. I don't uh, know. Yeah, the little yeah. girl? No, the, the adult woman, the mother, okay. um, was tremendous. I'm, I'm very, very sorry. I don't have that name on hand. Um, some really incredible imagery. There's an imagery with a, I want to say a dropped, what is it that rolls on out from from the the bridge? He steals orange oranges. That's right, the dropped oranges. Um, incredibly patient film. There is maybe something about the resolution that is a little too deterministic for me, or at least was. It got a little more complicated than felt natural to like what was a film that really breathed. Like it almost felt like forty minutes. Yeah, there, in. there seems to be like a plot that kicks in yes. kind of in the back half of the movie. That would probably be the thing that kept it away from my top ten, but I would love to see it again with that I, resolution I, 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 in mind. I think it's crucial that with that resolution to kind of ask the question that the director is trying to do, mm -hmm. which is like, what makes yeah. a family? What is family? Absolutely. You know, and so, you know, the the reveal that that gets that plot in motion. Yeah. Which is kind of a little bit of a surprise and a little bit yeah. of a gut punch. Um, it does make the movie feel very different from the first half yeah. and not as like breezy. But this is something I love about um, sort of like the uh, Japanese dramas. I think we talked a lot about this with uh, Bong Joon-ho is these directors just... Who's, it's, who's Korean? Uh, sorry, sorry, with Korean. Sort of like, but, but Japanese, Korean. Huh? Like the, these dramas are allowed much more room to breathe and allowed much more of a show rather than tell approach with respect to family dynamics. That's something I really loved about this film was just spending time with them, sort of kicking around their place and going out on tasks and the routine of the shoplifting and just something so chewy about that that I absolutely loved. Yeah, definitely the warmest movie on my list, mm -hmm. I think. Uh, so that is Shoplifters. I, it, has, it has not shown up on any of the streaming sites that I've seen, but I'm sure no. you'll be able to rent it on Amazon Prime. I'm actually very curious about what your number one is. I think it's like one of two movies. I can't believe that both of these movies wouldn't make your okay, list. Okay, interesting. I'm very... I'm so I feel like maybe, did you forget? So let's see. Is it... I'm going to take two okay. guesses. It's either 8th grade or first reform. Okay, it's not eighth grade. Eighth grade did not make my list. I think Good. I'm, my, gl I'm glad. I my, was going to be. I was like ready to like really tilt yeah, that yeah. if eighth grade was. Tom would have clicked movie. delete if I made eighth grade my <laughs> unsubscribe. Uh, eighth, eighth grade, I liked quite a lot, but let's not overstate how much I liked eighth grade. Yes, my number one film of the year, my favorite film of the year, is uh, Paul Schrader's First Reformed. Um, and you know, it was really like a a, a a toggling between Hereditary and First Reformed. And I think when I was thinking about it, I kind of. If I picked Hereditary, I'd be picking a sort of, um, like I said, Blackheart, like a like a, a cold-hearted film. And I think First Reform, despite being the work of a director who is certainly 
made films that one could describe as cold and arid and distant. And I think First Reform is a film like that in, in, in no small amount, but... Um, it is a, like, fall day in Yes, the certainly, yeah. But it is... I, there is something about this film. There is a beauty to this, an austere beauty to this film. And I think a, a real out-and-out out hopefulness to the ending of the film. A unique Schraderian... Fascinating, fascinating read. Schraderian hopefulness to the ending of the film um, that made me feel like this is the one I wanted to sort of represent my year. Just just in, in the interest of, I don't know, a kind of like a hopefulness and a... You know, this is a film very much about a despair in our world. And I think this is what I like most. I mean, what do I like about the film? Beautifully photographed. Hawk is uh, tremendous. It's my favorite performance of the year. Another um, another guy who should be up for best. Ab absolutely, and will most justice. likely not be. Yeah. There is no justice. It is, that is that <laughs> there is, is no justice. That's the red carpet take. There is, is no, no justice. justice. It is a, if he does not get nominated, it is a travesty of travesties, and it will happen. And I'm ready for it. Um, Hawk is unbelievable. Amanda Siegfried, I think, is great. Um, the uh, again, photography, the the attention to de the sparing attention to detail of the film. What I really love is the way that Schrader makes this a film. You, you don't want to watch a movie about global warming. Like no one, I, I don't want to watch a narrative film about global warming. Um, a convenient truth is a different sort of matter, right? But the way that he makes this film about that, about the, the imminent despair that we are all sort of ignoring, and one man's facing of that despair, and then couches it, you know, you guys know me, Tom knows me. The sort of Scorsese, Abel Ferrara, frustrated Christianity thing, very on brand, speaks to me. You know, grew up in Staten Island, grew up in an all-boys Catholic. It's You're part very of, frustrated? Very frustrated. Um, it's part of my DNA. Um, Schrader nails it. Um, I, I think this film is is uh, just incredible. And there's a there's a, there's just a particular kind of spare sadness to this film that is just... I can taste it, and it, it is just so, um, so special, um, and galvanized by a Hawk performance that I think is, uh, you know, a, a career performance and a sort of like, like once-in-a-lifetime, awesome, uh, quietly beautiful performance. Um, yeah, first reform. Now that I have it here, it doesn't feel like any other film could be my favorite film of the year, so I'm I'm really feeling it. I, this, to me, is the, the one film that I feel like is the the movie accomplishment of 2018 for me. Yeah, I really liked First Reform, and it was the last movie I, remo I removed mm. to whittle down to my best of 12, <laughs> you know, which made no yeah. sense. Um, but I knew that you would put it on and kind of represent. I think, like, for my list, my list seemed to be, like, be a little bit more forward-looking. Mm. Like, the one knock that I would have on for First Reformed is it just feels a little, like, formalistic and a yeah. little... Um, just very, I don't want to say derivative of like certain European cinema, mm -hmm. but yeah. has a certain backward looking. It's, it feels like more of a throwback oh, absolutely. than like look to the future. This is a classicist pick for sure. Yeah. And in, in that respect, it's maybe off brand for me. You, your, your list is more me. And I think my list is more you to an extent. It's very strange. There's a sort of symbiosis. Every, up is down, down is up. Yeah. This is maybe an annihilation situation. Like which is... <laughs> we which actually is, are podcasting from the show. Yeah. Which is the real time? <laughs> So, okay, so I'm going to read off my very lengthy short list, honorable mentions here, some of which uh, I've already mentioned. And then I guess you will do the same, and we'll have a couple of more categories to, mm -hmm. to chat about. Mm -hmm. I mean, or basically, I'm going to list my worst movies of the year. Maybe Tom will have one yeah. 
to mention as well. So my honorable mentions in no short order and their director, just to be respectful here. We've got Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Peter Ramsey, Robert Pruschetti Jr., and Rodney Rothman. That almost, I saw it for a third time yesterday, almost made my list. Really almost made So close. It's so sick. And like, not doing well. Like, I was looking at the box. Like, it's doing fine. It's like, it's it's going to make like $250 million, right? But like, it's like the 37th highest like superhero film. I mean, like, Deadpool makes like $800 million. It's like absolutely wild. I have to attribute it to the terrible name. Into the Spider-Verse is just an atrocious name. I'll never... I'll, and, and for me, the, you know what kept it off for me? The horrible music. I think the music is horrible. It's uh, very unfortunate. I, As I, Sensitive I, Evan pointed out, it is what like, Spider-Man would listen to now. It is the music that Miles mm-hmm. Morales would listen to. And I get that, but I hate pop music, and I hated the music. Okay. Uh, Avengers Infinity War this is gonna this is one of my honorable mentions I love this movie it's not a good movie that's always my thing I'm always like I love this movie it's not like a good movie by like movie standards like in the traditional rubric of movies but there's something I really like about it in in this in this honorable mentions pool we have (laughs) Paul Schrader's First Reformed and Avengers. What is it called? Infinity, Infinity War. Infinity sort of like War. shoulder to shoulder. Hey, oh boy! Endgame is one of my most uh, one of the movies what, I'm looking what forward Tom's, to. What a Tom similar thing most. to say for me, by the way. Who is who? Yeah, is I, I don't understand. Um, other audible mentions: Hereditary, Ari Aster. Loved that so much. Burning, I saw again. Uh, so so great, but didn't quite make my top ten. It's such a enigmatic film. There's a Korean film directed by Lee Chang Dong. Highly recommended. Uh, Widows also very close to making my list, directed by Steve McQueen. Um, there's a couple of moments in that movie I wouldn't want to spoil on air, but got just the most amazing audience reaction out of any movie I've seen all year. And it's kind of like a Trojan horse movie in that it presents itself as this like heist movie, but it is so, so much more. It's a little overstuffed, but I think that it's more of a feature than a bug. Um, and also, McQueen can really shoot some amazing action. Oh, this, the sequence, um, that would be also one that I would consider an honorable mention as well. The sequence of the robbery being shot out of the back of the truck is just, oh, that's, uh, that's some perfect. of the finest action filmmaking Fantastic. of the year, for sure. Um, and the other shot of like uh, the conversation that Colin Farrell has in the limo that like shows um, the different neighborhoods like going from where he does doing his speech to like where he lives, uh, also super, super excellent. Uh, support the girls the andrew bajowski movie i like really really love this movie was on obama's top moves of the year go obama shout out to obama his movie list is super excellent his top films of the year uh and so yeah i have to give a shout out to andrew bajowski one of the mumblecore alums that i love so much in addition to aaron katz whose gemini also makes my honorable mentions great like neon inflected la noir uh, mission impossible fallout which we already mentioned incredibles 2 uh, which we'd spoken about at length on the red carpet when we did brad bird earlier in the year i think incredibles 2 is like maybe i think this is weird to say because it made two billion dollars one of the most underrated movie of the year people talk about it like it's this like garbage movie i thought it was fantastic awesome. don't understand what everyone's I mean, un- until fallout came out i was I, I said this on the air very confident saying I think Incredibles 2 is going to be the best action movie yeah. of the year. And were, would it not be for Spider-Man, it would have been the best animated feature of the yeah. year. Uh, yeah. Incredibles 2 is awesome. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Yeah. Um, this is a Danish movie that I saw that I really like called The Charmer, directed by Malad Alami. Um, and it is, uh, it's both in Danish and Persian. And this, uh, it's about an Iranian guy who is uh, who has fled Iran and is trying to find a woman to marry him mm-hmm. um, in Denmark. And the chemistry, it's very sexy 
it like kind of is another bit of a Trojan horse movie in that it seems like it's an erotic thriller. Um, and, and the, the chemistry between the two leads is absolutely incredible. Um, but really does speak to this moment in the world regarding, you know, what to do with, um, you know, people who want to, who want to flee their, their home country and what it's like and the, the pressures on those people who are fleeing, you know, and both like what it's like to see the world through, you know, the different places that they live. It's a really fascinating movie. For some reason, um, it did not get much of much critical buzz and a lot of the reviews have been mostly middling, but I don't know, I was very taken by What's this What's his movie. name again? The movie is called The Charmer. The Charmer, okay, I'll yeah. put that on my list. You said this is a Danish and I got very hungry, so I... Yeah, I'm also very to... hungry, so yeah, uh, we definitely need to get some some bakery action. Um, the next movie I know you did not like as much as me, there's The Endless, directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Surprise, Moorhead. surprise to not find that on your list. Probably. Yeah, yeah, it, it was pretty... It was pretty close. I didn't get a chance to watch it a second time. That is streaming on Netflix. That is The Endless. Great little sci-fi indie movie. Another movie that came very close to making the list was Private Life, uh, the Netflix movie directed by Tamara Jenkins, who's the director of The Savages, uh, stars Catherine Hahn and uh, Paul Giamatti. Another, like, if there was any justice in the universe, great performances that should totally be nominated, Mm -hmm. especially in the realm of, like, what kind of movies get nominated for Academy Awards. Uh, You know, really strong, juicy performances. I actually watched this in preparation for our uh, little get-together here, so I will inflict some takes on you. I liked it. I found it very... It, the topically, it was so specific and almost like kind yes. of claustrophobic. In That's that actually way. the thing that kept it off my list. It's like it's it's amazing, but it's like it's hard to like imagine rewatching it. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it's such a warm and funny movie about what it's about is like what I think it's what makes fun. it so strong. Han is unreal. Oh, so on, on, on Catherine Han so awesome, and his uh, shout out to Catherine Han is also the voice of uh, Doc Ock in uh, Spider Man. Yeah. Um, what else do I got here? I got Sorry to Bother You, Boots Riley, which was a movie that like I was almost sure would make my list when I saw it the first time. But the second time, I loved it, but did not quite work for me as as well as it did that, that first time. Uh, first Reformed, Paul Schrader, so fantastic. The Double Lover, this was like one of my little like pet like uh, movies this year. It's like time. a weirdo erotic thriller directed by Francois Ozon, who I think a lot of people would know because he's the director of Swimming Pool, another erotic thriller that came out uh, kind of a long time ago at this point. Uh, it's like 10, 12 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, uh, that movie, uh, Sh- Swimming Pool, stars Charlotte Rampling. Mm-hmm. Great movie. Rewatch that as a result of seeing the Double Lover. Double Lover is sexy and it's very weird. It's very weird. It's, it's very cool. French. It's, it's very. It's, it's very. French. It's very French. Yeah. So if you're in the mood for a French erotic th- thriller, that's the Double Lover. Tully, the Diablo Cody, written Jason Reitman directed film. I love that movie. I, I watched it a second time. It's such a sweet little movie. I have that earmarked here as another honorable mention for me. Yeah, yeah Death of Stalin. I really like the Armando Inanucci movie. So funny. Looking forward to seeing that a second time. Uh, there's a really great female-led gross-out comedy that A24 kind of silently put out called Never Going Back, directed by Augustine Frizzell. Um, that's really good, really raunchy if you wanted to watch something like that. Uh, Black Klansman, the Spike Lee movies, also here. Really like that one. A Quiet Place, the Krasinski movie, which I know I was a little bit higher on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that is my last honorable mention. Did I somehow mention a movie that is on your honorable mentions? Uh, that- you mentioned two um, that I'll just give a quick like supplemental shout out I'm really surprised by how much I like Tully I think uh, Charlize Theron gives one, uh, of, the, one of the standout another performances another performance yeah. where it's just like where where is I, well, at a certain point we're running out of spots for the uh, for the nominees you know? oh, okay. we've named like three yeah, actors okay, okay, here okay. Um, another film I really liked um, that had a, a sort of surprising uh, amount of enthusiasm for was Black Klansman not that I'm 
not ready to be bowled over by a Spike Lee film, but I don't know that I've been bowled over by a Spike Lee film in some time. Um, this film had an energy and verve to it that uh, was really contagious, tremendous performance um, from Adam Driver, I thought. I uh, really enjoyed this film, really bold. Um, loved, I mean, it. I loved about half of the five endings that it had. Um, <laughs> really, really good stuff. Um, he had that, uh, Tom Whelan had that zing like in his holster. I did, I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Two movies you didn't mention that I want to give a shout out to, Steven Soderbergh's Unsane. I really, really liked, um, really appreciated the attention um, and ingenuity, the, the ingenuity of the style and the way it contributed to the tension. Perhaps a bit boilerplate, but really enjoyed that film. And another film that I really can't put a bow on 2018 without giving a shout out to is totally off brand for me, but it's Game Night, which is a film. Oh, I, I like Game Night too. Game Night was real yeah, close. I watched Game Night twice. I like really, Night. really liked it. Me and my buddy Connor, shout out to Connor, my movie buddy up here. He's sort of my um, my sensitive Evan up here. Um, we <laughs> had an absolute blast. Just our knees were sore from slapping him so hard the whole time. Um, it's a good one. Game Night's tremendous. And again, this, like the scene with Rachel McAdams. When she's like swinging the gun around, oh, so, Third Eye Blind, so oh, it's oh, it's excellent. Yeah, it's so really shout out stuff. to Third Eye Blind, shout out to Game Night, um, <laughs> and I think that's shout out to 2018, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that um, I, well, Eighth Grade, I'm sure, would be on. Your yes, it would be on honorable right. mentions, but it already dishonorably <laughs> yeah. been uh, mentioned uh, as a potential. I think with Eighth Grade is that like it's fine. Yeah, like it's yeah. it's fine. It's, it's not great. It's not terrible. So I'm just going to list off, crankily, my worst movies of the year. Um, Venom, what a piece of garbage. Vice, steaming piece of shit. Bohemian Rhapsody is probably one of the most overrated movies I've ever watched in my entire life. I don't know if anyone remembers this, but Tomb Raider came out this year. That movie sucked. I remember seeing the Netflix envelope with Tomb Raider in it um, in your uh, living room of your house and thinking... Whoa, Tom, what are you doing? <laughs> so this is like, I call this the Man from Uncle effect. I really like the Man from Uncle, the Guy Ritchie movie from a couple of years ago, which is kind of a really showing my hands on my big crush on Henry Cavill and my other big crush on Army Hammer. And also features an actress whose name is escaping me, but was super charming in the Man from Uncle and who plays Lara Croft in this Tomb Raider. Unfortunately, the, the movie is just like CGI garbaggio. Uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet, completely embarrassing for one of my favorite film studios of all time. Uh, Mid-90s, completely embarrassing for how many critics fell for its garbaggio, pseudo-hip, hip-hop soundtrack. Jonah Hill, stay fat, bro. Oh my god. Bad Times at the El Royale. Shocked to see how many people that I admire put this on their top 10 of the list, like the top 10 of the, the year. I'm like tilting. Yeah. This movie was so embarrassingly terrible. It's getting a lot of like whiplash kind of cred at yeah. the end of the year. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. like, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's it's embarrassing. It was a strong skip for me once I, I heard the sort of initial like shudders. I mean, if you want to hear like a woman sing like acapella Motown songs in like a very like syrupy over the top way this movie is for you some people really mm -hmm. want to see that no thank you halloween reboot complete waste of my time completely forgot it really for the most part yeah. um, i really did not take to, uh, to blaze the ethan hawk movie mm. but i think that's more of my own personal bias yeah. against kind of a uh, music biopics than anything else uh the meg which we talked about on the show total piece of shit mm. um really did not like that i i actually forgot about this movie had it not been for letterbox i would have never even remembered how bad it was the duncan jones netflix movie mute oh, i had talked yeah. about this yeah. uh, earlier in the year but my absolute least favorite movie of the year you know I, you said you had no baby driver this year i had a baby driver uh -huh. this year and that would be deadpool 2 i hate that movie 
And then finally, the best worst movie of the year, which y'all can find streaming on Amazon Prime, that I will watch probably more times than I ever should. Do you know what I'm going to talk no, about? No, no. It is Gotti, starring your boy, John Travolta. I gotta watch Gotti, Oh man. my god. No. We should probably, you know, I've actually watched the first 45 minutes twice already, um, and I'm very hungry, but otherwise I'd say, yeah. let's put it on right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it is, it's, you know, watch it with your friends. It's a howler. I mean, in a career of embarrassing roles, John Travolta really outdoes himself. Uh, yeah, it's, it's extremely inept. It's directed by E from Entourage. Let's all take that in. Not the character of E. Because he seemed to have like some wits about him, but the actor who played E, uh, yeah. Oh, so if if I may contribute a couple of clunkers, um, a couple of lowlights, um, we have <laughs> we have we have all forgotten and rightfully so that the Cloverfield Paradox came out in 2018. Oh my God, that's right. Yes, um, yes that is, that's I, very bad. I, I think uh, one of the more embarrassing films. Of Sorry, the guys. That would um, can I? I'm going to throw that on mine too. Yeah. That's terrible. you can call it a piece of shit if you want. Yeah, <laughs> what a piece of shit. Um, I, here, here's what I'll say. I'll, I'll give a dual award to the movies that I saw in the theater that I rolled my eyes out the most. One is fairly innocuous, and that is the Blumhouse film Truth or Dare, which was a sort of high-concept slasher one. I don't take any joy in knocking down um, a film like this. This is how Blumhouse works. They put out a bunch of movies. They give directors total. They give directors a lot of freedom. Some of them are going to work. Some of them don't work. Happy Death Day really worked. Have you seen the trailer for Happy Looks Death wild. Day 2? Looks amazing. I can't wait for it. But this one didn't work. And it just yeah. didn't. But I, I just, I have to be honest. That was I saw that at the drive-in and basically spent um, the majority of the film like cocking my car seat back further and further through the sheer force of the, my eyes rolling. Sure. A movie I probably rolled my eyes out the most. Um, and again, it's just, I don't take much pleasure in slagging oceans eight or, or that's oh, what i left right. this on my list purposely yeah. because i felt like yeah but um the thing is is i think it's a missed opportunity i think this movie could have been so much cooler um and it really wasn't i thought it was really whack um really whack as a comedy and really whack as a heist film um, especially again, in a movie where like widows came out yeah i think and i think that's the thing and it really like i said um folks who dig on it dig away i'm that's that's my intention is not to say this thing you like i don't like it um and i get the reasons why people like it and those reasons are cool but to me it was a major missed opportunity yeah and i, I guess like we should probably mention like we haven't mentioned this movie at all on the podcast really uh like the movie of the year which is going to easily win best picture mm -hmm. and that we've not mentioned at all is roma yeah uh by uh alfonso curan yeah uh and so i was bored to tears by this movie and had kind of a rotten theater experience even though the theater's the place you gotta see it man yeah, yeah. um and i know that you had the best roma burn yet which is like i know i knew that you had been watching it for like 45 minutes and you texted me waiting for roma to start yeah I mean, uh, so I... so what is your take Oh man, um, I don't know, man. I I love form as content movies. Um, I, I really respond to those. Um, I didn't respond to this one, man. I, I there was just something about the persistence of the sort of of like the the, the director's obsession with his own technique that was really off putting to me. There were isolated moments that I thought were really beautiful, and that gave me a sort of window into what I think most people thought of the film at large. I'm thinking particularly of a beach scene towards the end of the film that is a sort of, like, dramatic culmination. But I think it says something to the fact that I think that's the most dramatic scene in the film. And by and large, I don't know, uh, they're just really... I don't say this about movies. I, I like boring, slow movies. I like movies that are really... Same. You know, um... 
there just really wasn't much for me to sink my teeth into here. And um, I got to a point not that long into the movie where I said, if I see another slow pan, I am going to absolutely lose my mind. And I think I was like 40 minutes into the movie and there were many a slow pan. Did um, you know that the camera can go all 360 yeah, degrees? It's just, I, this, it, it, the film struck me as being very, um, the film's project of putting a light on underrepresented stories would, had real tension with what I found to be an incredibly ostentatious style. Um, it just didn't work. They were, the musicality of the film wasn't there for me. It just didn't work for me. Yeah, same. And like, you know, a lot of people are, are talking about the strength of the lead performance. Disagree. It's a non-performance. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I, Josh Larson in particular of Film Spotting is like, you know, thinks this is like the strongest performance. You know, it's all internal. Whatever, man. I don't know what that means. If I can't notice it, like, I don't know what's a performance. Yeah. I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. You know, I'm not really someone who, like, needs it to be big, but I don't know. It didn't really feel like there was, like, much of an arc, and I think that's, like, a little bit of the point, but neorealism has never been totally my thing, you know, but I don't know. I, I, I did not respond to this. I might go see it again in 70 mm. millimeter just to, like, see. It's, like, I, you know, I here's the thing with that movie. I moved during the movie because two people were talking during it. And so I was in kind of a bad mood. Mm -hmm. I can't see myself ever loving it, but I, I, I'd like to find a way to appreciate it. I would also like to see it in the theater so that I am more at its mercy. I think the at-home Netflix stream experience, I think you said this um you said this uh, as, and, I, and listen, I'm I don't I'm I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this. Like I'm watching this, I'm 45 minutes in, and I'm texting Tom. Like I see what you mean. So like the mere fact that I'm picking up my phone, this is not something I normally do during movies, especially not during a movie. Like I'll do it during some Hellraiser three or something. Frankenstein versus who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fra Fra Frankenstein versus who? The, the movie, right? That exactly right. <laughs> but so I would like to be at the film's mercy. I think that is what should happen with this kind of film. Um, and I think you had said. Um, anything else seems more exciting at some point with this movie. So I think the at-home experience... What's the opposite of intoxicating? Yeah. De so, it's detoxicating. Yeah, so I, I would like to be at this film's mercy. And, I, you know, just if you're interested in movies that people are talking about, uh, you know, this is, you know, so I, and I am. I guess I, I think I owe this movie one more go-around. I'd like to try it in the theater. Um, but I don't know. I was pretty put off, man. Yeah, not a fan. And that is Roma. See it or don't on Netflix. I think my biggest disappointment this year that comes to mind, just like really uh, off the cuff, is Hold the Dark. Not that I didn't like it, mm. but, you know, I love uh, Jeremy yeah. so much in it. Uh, you know, other than like one like really distinctive scene in the middle that is like full on Selnier, um, I, I it, it didn't really. It's a starchy, really it's a starchy it one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That scene is uh, one of the great action sequences of the year. It I mean, is really wild. It's worth the price of admission yeah. just to catch the scene. And sort it's of... worth watching. I mean, it's like it's it's. The thing is, it's not really bad until the end when you realize like what it's all added up yeah, to, and yeah. it like felt like very underwhelming. It's like very cool moment to moment, but it does not really a add up. Does is not stick the landing. Add up is generous. Right? Yeah, it, it does. Yeah, yeah. It minuses down. <laughs> I, I think uh, I don't know if I mentioned this to you. I was like, I had to Google ending of Hold the Dark. Sure, you sure. know, and that's never a good sign. Yeah, my biggest disappointment of the year I will frame as the movie whose reputation and my experience of it have the starkest contrast, and that would be the David Gordon Green Halloween film, mm -hmm. um, which is one where uh, I often tell this. I often tell this anecdote um, when I people ask me why, like, what I like. They ask me about. Step Brothers, Amon, and I'm like, listen, I just don't really like new comedies. It's just not my kind of thing. And I tell them about going to see Wedding Crashers in Staten Island, and the movie ended, and the entire audience gave it an ovation, and I thought I was on the planet Mars because I really didn't like it. 
That's what happened to me with Halloween, where the, my audience was wrapped, um, and I walked out of it just really with a sour taste in my mouth. And that's what I would say, insofar as letdowns of 2018, that's probably my letdown. Yeah, that makes sense. Normally, this is the part of the podcast where Tom and I keep you abreast of what we have planned for uh, upcoming episodes. But that's not what we're going to talk about now, because Tom and I have mutually decided that we're going to take a little bit of a break from regular episodes of The Rad Carpet. That doesn't mean by any means that The Rad Carpet is done. Far from it. We have a lot of big things planned for 2019 and beyond. But Tom and I decided we need to cool our heels a little bit, getting a little overwhelmed with The Rad Carpet curriculum. So stay subscribed to the radcarpet.com feed. Um, stay subscribed on Instagram, on Facebook.com slash The Rag Carpet, on Twitter. There'll be all kinds of little fun incidental stuff here and there. But more importantly, that's where you're going to find out when we resurface with some new episodes and when, what we have planned for 2019 and beyond. Yeah, and to, to put this in comic book terms, like, we are not dead, we will return. Yes, you know, absolutely. I think that that is the, you know, stay for the after credit scene where you'll <laughs> yeah, see Nick yeah. Fury uh, initiate us into the Avengers. It'll be sick. Yeah, and not to put too much of a funereal atmosphere on this here, I just want to say how much we appreciate yeah. everyone out there who interacts with us, who enjoys the rag carpet. We're still going to be putting stuff out. We know and love. We know you guys are out there. We love that you guys are out there. But doing this podcast thing is tough. Me and Tom yeah. need to chill. Um, but we're going to be back at it, back and yeah. better than ever in 2019. Yeah, we have a we have somewhat of an idea of what we have up our sleeves, but we don't want to say too much. But I think it'll be uh, refreshing, rejuvenating, like a like a phoenix reborn, just like Dark Phoenix coming out this year through. F uh, I'm so uh, sorry. Oh yikes! Okay, yeah. Um, bigger and better though is well, no. bigger and better than uh, one any X Men movie that's coming out. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, uh, for, uh, for the last time in a little bit, but not the last time ever, uh, we're going to sign off here on the rag carpet. Like I said, stay tuned on the feed. There's going to be more one-off episodes coming sooner rather than later and some big plans for the future. Yeah. And maybe us complaining about Oscar nominations whenever that happens. I could, I could see that easily. That's being, definitely going to happen. Yeah, it's, it's already started. It's inspirational. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We've already bemoaned yeah, Oscar nominations yeah. that haven't been snubbed. Like we're, we're, we're bemoaning future snubs. Yeah, yeah, anticipating snubs, yeah. So before we sign off, we want to tip our rad caps to Justin Marino, who provides all the sweet tunes for the podcast, and Ryan Williams, who, man, we've mentioned about ten times in this episode, and who designed the red carpet logo. You can find more of Ryan's work and reach out to him for your own graphic design needs at asubtledifference.com. Thanks for listening and stay rad. All right, recording, recording. Hello, hello. We're doing that thing. We're doing the recording thing. Yo, Tom, what's up? Downloading an app because I'm on my screen. Hello, hello. I'm such a cool dude. <laughs> Tom, you're cool. <laughs> oh my god. Remembering passwords is not my strong suit. <laughs>